Welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, Marvel goes for a fresh start, Image Expo comes in full swing, The Tales gets suspenseful, and two white boys discuss Black Panther. Stay tuned for all this and more! Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the. Uh, oh, wait for it. What the heck? Uh, what? Uh, heck, it? Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were gonna. Uh, you, you didn't tell me you were setting me up. I wasn't setting you up. I just kind of, I kind of messed up my own audio there for a second. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics heck yeah. Podcast. Okay, there it is. Uh, I'm David, that's Nick, you're the listening audience, and this is the show where we discuss comic books and their related media and all that good stuff, and Nick, you had quite the reaction to, uh, to part of the opening there. I I did. I was going to launch the show with a tirade about how sad I am that we've still received no word on the continuation of the Autumnlands comic um, by Kurt Busiek, and I feel bad because I don't know the artist's name off the top of my head. Isn't it Benjamin Dewey? Thank you. Um, but yeah, when, as you were doing your thing and you said two white boys will discuss Black Panther, I'm like, great, we're going to spend like 15 minutes talking about something we have invalid opinions on. Uh, that's that's not true at all. We don't have that, that it's dumb to say we have invalid opinions on a movie. If you say two white boys are discussing Black Panther, it's kind of like. I was saying that You're for joking. humorous no, you, effect. No, you were. You were. It's totally funny. It's, I don't actually think that we have invalid opinions on it. It just comes across as like, now listen to two guys that maybe shouldn't discuss this, discuss this. My, it's a superhero movie. We discuss comic books and superhero shit. You know what I mean. Now, Nick, what I'm, what I'm hearing here is that you are an apologist for absolutely no reason. And look, man, you be you. Dude, just because I hate all white people does not mean that I'm an apologist. But I am sorry for all of them. Is that so? <laughs> for, is that so wrong? For That's all so white wrong. people? What about like the white people who are doing like good stuff? Uh, all white people are bad. Who? This is not territory I wanted to get <laughs> into. Right. Oh boy, I steered uh, us here. This is this is my bad. I steered us right into this. Well, you knew right what into this you iceberg, created, David. Oh, you knew. I should probably. <laughs> dig dig us out uh, of this hole as quick as possible <laughs> maybe we should just should we start this episode over why hold on okay i'm gonna replay the theme song and <laughs> i hope the volume still turned down on that all right hey welcome to the heck yeah comics podcast in which nick and i are two completely normal human beings and we're just gonna go ahead and skip any intro talk and jump straight into the news wait a second wait a second are you keeping the original intro you're just pretending to start over yeah oh okay all right yeah what's going on in the news our top story today after a disappointing summer humpty dumpty has a great fall well first up in the news is that marvel has announced fresh start which uh what is what exactly does that mean it means that remember when they were like hey guys no more soft relaunches no more renumberings here's marvel legacy we're just gonna ride this train and just be what it is um 
yeah, that was that was six months ago, and that was a lie. They have announced Fresh Start, which is allowing them to return some stuff sort of, I guess, to the status quo of what it was before and renumber a bunch of titles. First uh, off, David, you're putting mm. words in Marvel's mouth. I am also a Marvel apologist. So, yep, apparently. You know, I'm great company, all, all things considered. Um, they never said that they would never do any anymore. Not not anymore, as if like for they never said they would um, take time before doing another initiative. Or anything. The only thing they said was they it would be a while before they did another line wide event book like Secret Empire, Civil War, etc. I don't think they ever said that they would never renumber books before. It is unfortunate that they literally just renumbered a bunch of books for an initiative. That's the only thing is that that should have been part of an initiative. That's it what's just been frustrating. Because when they announced this six months ago, they had, like, this Fresh Start stuff was, like, in the works. Like, they were like, all right, guys, here we are going back. Like, here's Captain America 875. Uh, but... You know, in, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about Captain America number 700, right? Is it 700? I don't know. 700, so maybe, like, 695. Yeah, okay, whatever. Whatever. I just, I pulled a big number out of my hat, and now they're going to be like, and now here's Captain America number one. So there has been uh, some, so here's what we know based on this event. You have Thor Odinson, I shouldn't say event, based on this announcement. You have Thor Odinson returning as, uh, as Thor, who now has a golden arm. Uh, you will have the, the big three and golden hammer, golden hammer, the big three back in their uh, positions. So you'll have, you know, the Hulk is there. He's not one of the big three. I'm just looking at this image. Uh, you will have Tony Stark as Iron Man. You'll have Steve Rogers as Captain America. You will have uh, all the Avengers books being sort of warped down into one Avengers book that they are just calling. Is it just Avengers? It's Avengers or the Avengers. Yeah, and they're, it's just going to start over at number one. So uh, just Avengers number one. There's also been an announcement of a Venom book. Uh, a new Venom book because there already is a Venom book. Yeah, a new Venom book. And I think I heard something. By uh, Donny Cates and Ryan Segman. Yep, I think I heard something as well as a Black Panther book. Um, there hasn't been a, a ton of announcements of who's going where just yet but we know you know dan slot is going to be off of spider-man and we'll be taking over iron man um, we'll talk a little bit here about an, another creator leaving the fold nick obviously i'm coming in negative what are your thoughts on a fresh start i'm ambivalent i'm is, is that the point where i mean dave we've been reading like comics more or less since we were like 12 years old so we have run the gamut of of marvel and dc initiatives and constantly refreshing constantly starting on a high note and then dropping and then like doing another initiative to bring interest back up we all lived through the new 52 just speaking of dc uh and of course we've lived through like the last five years of marvel relaunches and initiatives so I'm not getting sucked into the hyperbole. At the end of the day, I care about the books. So for example, right. like I don't I'm not the biggest Venom person, but I do like Ryan Stegman's artwork and Donny Cates is a is a, a relatively up and coming writer that's been making some waves in the independent field and at Marvel. Uh, and what little I've read from him has been pretty good. So I might be at least interested in checking out the Venom book. Uh, I know I mentioned to you uh, the other day when the new Avengers book was announced, like Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis, even though Ed McGinnis will probably only be on it for like two and a half issues. Um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting return to form with some some new updates. Obviously, the changes to Thor, uh, Black Panther taking on a more prominent role within the Avengers hierarchy. Uh, he's really, uh, he even said that like, 
Black Panther is going to be kind of part of the big four now that it's Cap, uh, Iron Man, and Thor, and Black Panther. Uh, apparently, Marvel's attempts at putting Captain Marvel into the as part of the big four apparently has didn't, failed. Didn't but maybe really that'll once uh, her movie comes out. Um, but she probably shouldn't have been the sort of villain, proto-villain of Civil War II. Yeah. Um, so really at the end of the day, like they can say this is a fresh start. They can say that they're walking the halls of Marvel and that everyone's as excited as they've ever been on this initiative. Like we've all read PR pieces before. It's not that I don't believe them. It's that at the end of the day, all I care about is what's in my hands and what's I'm, what I'm going to read. So as the more announcements come out and I see the creative teams, um, it's going to impact how I ultimately feel. Right. Doesn't for me it doesn't it's never really mattered like what the number is on the book or or what initiative banners on the top. It's just is the story inside good and that's that's all I care about. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is all coming in May and there hasn't been We're starting a, in May. They usually in roll May. it out over two yeah. or three months. There hasn't been a whole lot of. Uh, the, I, I expected since the announcement that we were going to be like, and here's all these lineups, um, which we haven't really gotten. Uh, I think in general the audi- the Marvel reaction or the the general reaction has been, I would say lukewarm. I don't want to say it's been entirely negative. Um, there are people who are excited uh, by some of the things that we're seeing, and you know, it it the people who are trying to be, uh, like you know, they're trying to be like you kind of ambivalent, like well, we'll see how things pan out. And then there are people who are like, okay, so you know, you made this big push of like everything's different, everything's going to be changed, but now let's just kind of take it right back to where it was let's hit a big restart button let's put things back at number one and try to like start over again you know it's it's just it's hard because there just seems things just seem so discordant and marvel marvel seems like it doesn't know like does this make you happy do you want this do you is this working okay uh well how about this what is this gonna make you happy renumbering everything legacy numbering is that gonna make you happy okay well how about uh thor thor is thor again he has a golden arm is that gonna make you happy and then you know in a few months they'll renumber everything again and start everything over it's just it's this weird circle of life that we have found ourselves in It's true. It's true. At, at some point, Marvel like Marvel is going to get their second win at some point. Is it with this initiative? I don't know. Um, you know, will CB Sabalski be the editor in chief for all of five seconds? I don't know. And also to be clear, like CB Sabalski has like just been the editor in chief for maybe a few months now. I don't remember when he got announced, but it wasn't that long ago. It was within the last six months. Yeah. Um, and this is you know, and, and part of this initiative may have already been in place. Uh, before he stepped in uh, and that that's to say I have really had no no idea what his editorial style is going to be and if there's certain things that even within his own initiative he's going to try and steer in different directions um, but it's definitely going to take some time to see exactly well, this, what the full this wasn't even announced by Sobolski this was announced by uh, uh, was it Tom Briefport sure. No, so this this CB Sobolski is in the initial announcement. He he's the one that says in the video, uh, "I can say walking through these halls, I've never seen okay. more enthusiasm and more excitement for Mar- for where Marvel is going this year. Not since Marvel now have we had such an overarching line wide change of talent on the Marvel Comics line." So it's also another musical chairs situation. Obviously, with Bendis leaving leaving uh, and a lot of other big names that have moved on to other to right. DC or, or independent comics like John a lot of a lot of contracts are up. A lot of different contracts are ending. Um, you know, definitely Marvel needs an infusion of top tier new talent. Uh, 
like you know the aforementioned Johnny Kate seems to be rolling in. Matthew Rosenberg is another independent talent that's been making waves at Marvel. Um, Joshua Williamson is mostly at DC. Who am I thinking? Ed Brisson, I believe. Um, you know, so so Marvel has an opportunity where they they need to lock in some some really great diverse talent to make up for a lot of the bigger names that have gone. Uh, and that's a good, that's a really creative position from them to be in because if you have a lot of fresh talent that's bringing new ideas, um, you really have the potential to revitalize your line uh, in a way that makes me remember back when I first got into the comics, really, like, uh, seriously, um, when uh, Bill Jemis and Joe Casado came in as the editor-in-chief, and I actually forget what Joe Casado's exact role was. Um, but that was the time, and maybe for certain fans, love it or hate it, but uh, I just remember, like, Marvel was way more creative as far as like that's when like x tags came out that was like a big part of like the marvel knights line um the grant morrison's new x-men j michael straczynski on amazing spider-man like there was a lot of kind of weird out of left field decisions made creatively that whether maybe they were beloved at the exact time i mean in hindsight i look back and that was like a very creatively uh, rejuvenating period of marvel for me mm-hmm. uh, maybe it might not happen with this fresh start marvel initiative which I don't think they actually call this initiative fresh start. I think they're just saying it's a fresh start. So as far as I can tell, this initiative doesn't actually have a name yet. But for, uh, I don't know because fresh every everybody in every single article is saying fresh start with like capital letters. This is fresh. So like maybe it's not the official name of the of the initiative, but Marvel is definitely branding this as fresh start, which is going to be great in six months right. when we get all new fresh start. Uh, in our next news story, though, uh, we are sad to report that the Super Sons comic from DC is going to be ending uh, in May. David definitely has some thoughts and feelings on that. Yeah, everything good in my life is coming to an end. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Um, yeah, David, no, tell us how you really feel. I I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm really sad about it. My review for this week is the latest issue of Super Sons, Super Sons 13, I believe. And uh, they have said that in May, hey, just a long in time for Fresh Start, they will be wrapping up. Um, they'll be wrapping up Super Sons. And it's, uh, you know, that they still have plans for the team in the future, blah, blah, blah. <sighs> But I'm just including i think we can announce right here as well uh a super sons meets um uh blue falcon and dino mutt crossover comic yes um yeah that is happening is that part of the whole dc zoom thing uh i don't remember being announced as part of dc zoom i think uh, it's just a random one-off comic. Just ran- okay yeah yeah so like, i mean they'll they'll pop up and you know you'll have uh issues where the two of them are gonna be doing you know you'll have an issue of teen titans uh, I'm sure at some point in the future when Jonathan joins them and then it's a Damien and Jonathan book and it's like super sons back together yet again, Rah, high five. Um, but there's just uh yeah, it's, it's just sad. I mean, this is, you know, this is a book that for me was great. It wasn't part of the maybe more mainstream, uh, comics. You know, a lot of people aren't talking about super sons, but it was kind of what you want comics to be. It was fun. Um, it was a, a little more lighthearted. Uh, and I think I don't think it really got time to kind of get on its own. You know, they 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 dealing a lot with their families, and even this current storyline we'll talk about it is dealing with 
Lois Lane and Talia Al Ghul. And I get it, you know, you're dealing with kids slash teenagers, like their parents are going to be involved. Um, but it never really, like, it never really established its own villains. Um, it, you know, they, they barely kind of had time to get their own adventures under their belt. And I think just as the book was starting to, to build some steam, it's unfortunate to see it going away. And I imagine, you know, it's probably a sales thing. Uh, and of course they want Bendis to be able to do what, you know, to just write off Jonathan Kent if he wants, I'm sure just get rid of him <laughs> and be like, Oh, the Kents have, it, have adopted a, a girl named Kitty pride. Like, you know, however it's going to work. Oh, oh my gosh. Kitty pride's the new Superboy. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, let's be honest. Here. It, it is, I feel like it, it could just be the conspiracy theorist in me that with Bendis taking over uh, Superman and Bendis generally being the kind of person that when he takes over a franchise, like he truly takes it over. I'm not saying that he doesn't necessarily play well with others, but there's definitely a feeling that like it's very much the Bendis regime, which regime might be the wrong word. But um, well, this... part of me was like, oh, Super Sun is ending at just the same time that Bendis is taking over. Yeah, Jonathan Kent is gone. Yeah, so th- so it's kind of funny you say that because reading this article here, uh, it's like, while Bendis has said his run will not ignore the acclaimed Tomasi and Dan Jurgen's Action Comics run that preceded it, the cancellation of Super Sons and the inexplicable absence of Supergirl from DC's May solicitations paint a picture of a lean, mean Superman office with only two voices, Bendis and Jean Luen Yang, whose new Superman and the Justice League of China continues. Which is, I think, New Superman is, like, so far removed from the right. general happening of the Superman comics. Like, it's like, they were, Bennis was, and this is obviously me joking, but Bennis was, like, just, like, going around the DC office, just, like, pointing and, like, lightning bolting, like, Superman books up, and they're, like, grabbing New Superman. Like, no, he's, like, all the way in China, man. It shouldn't matter. Right. It's like, um, no, no, look, look, look. They, I mean, they've met, but they don't ever, like, hang out. It's, it's fine. It's cool. They don't have to, they don't have to be friends. Right, right. We'll we'll change his name to new new, new Ultra new, Man, new Swamp Thing, Swamp, new swamp Thing, man. Swamp <laughs> thing <laughs> of China. Hey, hey, China uh, probably has swamps. Probably, I mean, it's a pretty big place. Does China have swamps. Oh boy, we're Google. This is really anyway. Uh, yeah, top six swamps slash wetlands in China. Okay, so, great. Um, we just, got we got our on the very first the very first link I read. It's true. So I don't want to get into like conspiracy stuff, but it does feel like, hey, Bendis, welcome to DC. What do you want to do? And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that Supergirl will pop back up. I'm sure Jonathan Kent is going to pop back up. But it's just kind of unfortunate that they, but it makes sense that they are like, all right, lay out the red carpet. Let's make him feel like, you know, we're bringing, we're bringing the king over because for some people, like, that's exactly what's happening. Right, and I here's the thing, and, and we're we're kind of throwing shade on Bendis right now. I, and, but like, and I, I want to say that I, I want to say that I'm not. I'm I'm not like it's like right. my, my my lamenting is like I get why they're doing it, but I am kind of sad for the repercussions of of what's happening. And obviously, a lot of this is speculation until right. really Ben until we get a, the, a true picture of what exactly Bendis is doing with Superman, we don't know. So in the meantime, we're going to throw shade and and create conspiracies and spread rumors because we're because being cool. That's what happens. Um, but uh, you know bendis can say like hey i'm not ignoring anything that came before and that's fine but this is the dc universe where everything has happened and nothing has happened because every few years they reboot a character anyway Mm -hmm. but then somewhere within their crises and their 
other other just other crises like every all, all stories get kind of overlapped and overturned and it's like that definitely happened but now it happened in this alternate universe so he can say that everything that's happened in these more recent runs has happened but he could also just do a, a dc special creative trick in his first issue to say like but then mr mixelplex or whatever came in and rewrote history again so jonathan right. never existed or, or and... could, you know could just be like well jonathan you know we, we decided you're going to get a private education so you'll only pop up every <laughs> once in a while so we're sending you off to some school in the mountains <laughs> jonathan's gonna show up in new superman uh, he'll be the super boy to new superman look i'm he'll not, get a hyphen in his name i'm not upset about that idea <laughs> let's get somebody on the line i would be that okay would be, with that what i would be happy for this to lead to assuming that john Jonathan Kent does not disappear. And you know that then when Bendis goes over to Batman, <laughs> Damian Wayne will probably disappear. Don't you, I'm joking, don't you dare. Idea. Don't you dare. <laughs> um, Damian's legacy I, I, at this point, man. That's but Damian has definitely stuck around. Um, I hope that this leads to Peter Tomasi taking over the Teen Titans book, because I feel like that's a book that he could really excel on. I feel like he's been kind of leading to it. And while I haven't really been checking in on the book, and basically since Jeff Johns has been on it, the occasional times where I do try to jump in, it feels like the book never really finds its footing. And I think Peter Tomasi is a strong enough creative voice, uh, and especially if he could just bring uh, Patrick Gleason over with him, uh, especially on art duties, oh. I think it could really be, turn that book around. He still you know, might be the <laughs> uh Superboy and and uh Damien or Robin or whatever could fit could fit in really well there. Even though Superboy's like only supposed to be ten years old, but we can kind of so much accept that. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh Damien Wayne has been around since Batman six hundred and fifty five, which was September of two thousand and six. So he has been around for almost twelve years as a character. Mm-hmm. That's pretty mm-hmm. cr- and he's only thirteen years old. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh the sliding time scales yep yeah I, I, okay so, so i just have to say like i haven't been following jonathan kent uh john kent as closely as you have um what little i've read of him is like it's like cool i i definitely like the idea of superman uh, having a son but i feel like jonathan it was like playing it really safe as like here's his son he's named after his 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 earth dad and um but what I really wish they had gone back to, and this would have also been really good in terms of like the Damien relation, is back when Damien first appeared, they also tried to give Superman a son as an adopted son in the form of uh, General Zod's child, who ended up becoming Chris Ken. Um, Chris named after Christopher Reeves, who played Superman in the original Superman movies, or original Superman, the ones back in like the 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wish instead of doing him having a bio son that they went back and just sort of redid or refolded the um the last son arc into into the current continuity so that chris kent could come back and they would adopt him and i mean as superman being an adopted child i like the idea of superman also adopting a child yeah so there's a part of me that actually wouldn't mind if if john kent actually got erased and was well i mean there's a big part of me that wouldn't mind you jerk uh no, he's great. He's he's youthful and excited, and uh, you know he's he he's like he's definitely Superman's son. You know he struggles with like um, with you know following the rules, but also wanting to be a hero and do good because his parents are like really worried because he's a ten year old kid whose powers are a little like inconsistent. Uh, like he mm-hmm. just recently figured out he can fly, but there's also times where it's like oh I can't control my heat vision. Um, 
and like that's you know it's it's a fun little dynamic especially to have him with damien who is like i'm gonna do what i want and you're useful to me you know they're they are friends but it's like you are really useful to have as a tool so like come along with me uh which is such a damien like damien is to be fair a 13 year old psychopath that you do should not want hanging around your child well and like in in this issue they just and i'll and i'll talk about it a little bit later but they just start like getting into like Jonathan learning a bit more about Damien's past. You know, he kind of like knew about it, but now he's actually like learning about it. And it's just, there's some mm-hmm. really great moments and chances for characterization that we're not going to get to really see played out anytime soon. But we'll, we'll talk about that more in a bit. Uh, right now I want to talk about image expo, which every year image comes out and they're like, here's the new titles coming out. So there's a bunch announced. We're not going to go through all of them. Um, but we'll just kind of highlight a few of them like Blackbird by Sam Humphreys and Jen Bartel Bartle. Uh, they co-created Blackbird, a modern fantasy story best described as Harry Potter meets Riverdale. It follows a young woman named Mina who discovers a neon lit world of magic masters in Los Angeles. And now they've kidnapped her sister. And Nina is the only one who can save her. Sounds dramatic. As I'm sure all the descriptions we're about to read will be dramatic. Um, Sam Humphries is a writer that uh, I've—I don't think—I think I've disliked more than I've liked in terms of his output. Um, I'm not 100% sure why, but it just doesn't connect with me. So I—I don't think I will jump at this right away uh maybe i'll wait for like the first arc to come out maybe if it's on like sale or a deal and i hear really good things then i might check it uh, um but a, a lot of from like his marvel and dc work i just really couldn't get into so not 100 percent feeling that one though that the, the concept sounds interesting yeah well one that i think sounds really interesting that i i like um the idea of a lot is dead guy fan club by annie Wu, who i believe did a stint on uh archie as an artist and he so annie Wu mm-hmm. is and re- she and Hawkeye with Matt Fraction. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and she, she's she's, she's writer and artist on this book. Um, introduced fan uh, fans to the forthcoming Dead Guy fan club in this new series. The founders of a rock stars fan club reunite in adulthood to investigate the suspicious death of their hero and the involvement of an unhinged member of their old flock. So it is. Spoiler: It's that unhinged member definitely killed the guy. Uh, what if they didn't though? I mean, what if they didn't? Mm. But they probably, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see how, you know, I, I don't know Annie Wu as a writer, so I can't speak to her talents there, but I guess we'll see. But I think, I like the idea of like, hey, we were really into this guy as teenagers and he's been murdered and like, let's find out what happened. Like, it's kind of got that like plucky, you know, the, the plucky teenage, like we can do whatever, but like what happens when that is met with being old and jaded. I don't know. It, it, it seems like a fun little idea. No, definitely. Um, I, I, as as the, uh, the Rick Remender fan here in the group, I am, uh, I feel that I should announce his, um, new book with Bengal, uh, death or glory. Uh, Rick Remender teams up with brilliant French superstar Bengal to bring fans a high-speed convoy crime thriller rocking across the American West that examines our dwindling freedoms and the price paid by those who fight for an untethered life on the open road. Meet Glory, raised free in a convoy off the grid amid the last men and women truckers fighting automation to continue living the American mythology of the open road. 
Now, in order to pay for her beloved dying father's surgery, Glory has three days to pull off four dangerous cross-country heists with mob killers, crooked cops, and a psycho ex-husband all out to bring her in or die trying. Uh, I I knew that Rick Remender was going to be announcing a book at Image Expo uh, based on some of his previous work. Like I, I mean, really, if you look at all of his books, other than most of them having some kind of usually sci-fi or fantasy element to them, like they're they're all very different from each other. I didn't really expect him to be working on like a cross-country like Americana trucker <laughs> book. <laughs> um, but consider me intrigued. Um, uh, definitely looking forward to that one. And Bengal's a, a really, really good artist as well. Um, so I'll be curious to see how it all pans out. Cool. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of go through and highlight a few random ones real quick as we wrap down the story. Echo Lands by J.H. Williams and Hayden Blackman is coming out. Uh, Farmhand by Rob uh, Gilroy. That's another art slash story by, you know, if, if you're curious, if you've heard that name, uh, he is the artist behind Chew. So uh, he has a very distinctive style, which I think is a very interesting one. Uh, Look Joint by T. Franklin, Maria Nguyen, Leviathan by John Lehman, Nick Patera, and Mike Garland. And, of course, some Ted McFarland projects. Uh, if you're curious, you say Ted? You said Ted. I said Ted. I meant to say Todd. No, it's Ted McFarland, the, uh, <laughs> the lesser McFarland. His cousin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you have Medieval Spider-Man, oh my gosh, Medieval Spawn and Witchblade crossover. The Medieval Spider-Man, let's let's meet that one up later. Uh, Spawn Kills Everyone miniseries, Misery, a new ongoing monthly series, and Spawn as an ongoing monthly title, and Sam and Twitch True Detectives. So that is a thing. Netflix Millar World titles, Miller World titles launch with the Magic Order. Oblivion Song by Robert Kirkman because, you know, he needs more to do. Like, that guy's not busy enough. And Lorenzo uh, De Felici. What were you going to say? I was just saying Lorenzo De Felici, the artist. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll probably be checking that out. Uh, you've also got The Weatherman by Joe. Uh, and Nathan Fox, uh, Joey LeHup is the writer on Shirtless Bear Fighter, uh, the Camp Recent, which I haven't read. I know Joey LeHup as being the former editor that worked on Uncanny X Force with Rick Remender, so I'm actually pretty curious about how the Weatherman shakes out. Um, also, What's the Furthest Place from Here uh, by Matthew Rosenberg and Tyler Boss. Uh, Matthew Rosenberg, I mentioned, is doing a bunch of work for Marvel. He did he got his big break from Black Mass Studios, um, doing a couple of uh, books there. Uh, um, and this seems to be a continuation of a lot of his black mass work, but at image comics. Yes. Well, we would love to hear what you think about any of the books announced, or if you think there's any that we are, have not mentioned here that we should absolutely check out, please drop us a line at heck yeah, comics at gmail.com or, uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter at heck yeah, comics, Nick, I think there's one quick hit if you just want to highlight it. Yes, uh, Chris Samney is leaving Marvel with Captain America number 700. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, his contract is up, and he's off to explore other new things. So it, it seems like it's an amicable split. Simply his contract is up, and he's ready to move on to other companies or his own creative work. Uh, it is unfortunate, being that he just started on his Captain America run. Yeah, people seem to really like out. it. It's, you know, uh, Chris Samney is, has a very clean style. He mm -hmm. puts, like... It's at least every Chris Sandy book that I've picked up, I never feel has been rushed. 
Uh, it doesn't really seem like he cuts corners and he's got a very clear storytelling um, style. Um, so it is, it is definitely a loss for Marvel. Uh, maybe he'll like still putting some covers from time to time, but I'll definitely be very curious to see where he lands now uh, and who uh, we'll take up the Captain America baton uh, going forward. My recommendation that I agree with, I, someone said this that I read online, would be Leonardo uh, Romero, who's been doing the art on the Kate Bishop Hawkeye book. Uh, pretty similar styles. Also someone that keeps bringing his A-game every issue. Uh, I think he'd be a good addition to the Crave team without kind of missing the beat aesthetically. Yep, Leonardo DiCaprio on Captain America. You heard yeah. it here. Definitely not what I said. That's but exactly what Nick said. Yeah, I think people like to make a little bit more of, you know, because Chris Samney's been working with Marvel for a long time, and it's like, ah, like he's leaving. What, like, what's happened? It's like, most well, contract is up, but I'm sure he would have been happy to renew. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? I could go off to Image, and I could do whatever I want over there. Uh, I could, he could probably go over to DC and do some stuff over there. You know, go work for Valiant for whatever reason. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just the time where it's like, Hey, I, you know, I'm not wanting for work. I can, I can go get, I can go get work somewhere else and let's go have some fun. So I'm, I'm sure we will talk about whatever Chris Samney is doing in the future right here, possibly even in the reviews, which we're going to get into right now to the Batmobile. Let's go. All right, Nick tales of suspense. Number one Oh two. Tell us about it. We've been at this for 102 issues now, David, across several decades. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we are into our third issue of a five-part story that features uh, Hawkeye and um, Winter Soldier hunting down what appears to be a um, Black Widow copycat killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the wake of Black Widow dying in the Secret Empire event, uh, someone has been going around and killing in Black Widow style. Uh, and taking out Black Widow is dead. Yes, I'm pretty sure I said that when I reviewed the first issue of this arc that I think I did on the show. I probably just heard like continue on. Um, so anyway, they've been on the trail of this copycat killer, um, which led to them coming across Yelena Belova, who is another Black Widow. Um, that's been, I think, was actually co created by Greg Rucka. Um, back at the turn of the century, maybe? I, I'd have to double-check. Uh, the difference is that she is blonde instead of a redhead. Uh, right. And probably other stuff like names and like you know personal details, but we're not going to get into that. Um, so they, they, they catch her in the previous issue, and then the, this new issue opens up with them in her apartment, and they're trying, <laughs> trying to figure stuff out. Um, what Matthew Rosenberg, by the way, this is written by Matthew Rosenberg and drawn by Travel Foreman, um, I, I, I've never had like the best handle on Hawkeye and Winter Soldier as characters. Like I think Hawkeye now like definitely takes after the Matt Fraction version of him, um, which really isn't like how he is in the movies either, where he's kind of like you don't understand how this guy is such like a high achiever and can like do so much stuff because he's just such a meathead and just like kind of like like a, a man child or whatever. Um, which I don't know if that's historically. I know Hawkeye is generally like hot tempered and um, rebellious and, and doesn't really respect authority. Um, 
And Winter Soldier, of course, is kind of, you know, he's very stern and direct and is just focused on the mission uh, and kind of a wet blanket. And Matthew Rosenberg definitely plays to these character um, traits uh, to great effect. The, the banter between Winter Soldier and, and Hawkeye is, is, is pretty funny. Um, like they're talking like they're they're now in, in Yelena Belova's apartment uh, and like Winter Soldier's like making ways about like, you know, I have ways to get information from her. And then Winter Soldier notices that uh, uh, Hawkeye is like, like pulling milk out of <laughs> Yelena's uh, fridge. And he's like, are you seriously drinking her food? And Hawkeye's like, we've literally just broken into her apartment, her apartment. We've kidnapped her and we're probably about to torture her. And you're giving me crap for drinking her milk. And he's like, well, at least use a glass. And he's like, yeah, I totally was. And then Winter Soldier walks away and he like just goes to take a swig, just takes a swig. From, the, <laughs> nice. from the carton of milk. Um, so despite some of the serious subject matter in this arc, it's it's kind of like a Mission Impossible, like just fun, like buddy cop situation where these guys definitely shouldn't be in a room together, but somehow they're accomplishing their goals. Um, anyway, so stuff gets serious. Um, you know, they they end up leaving Yelena um, and then following her. Um, shit goes down. Yelena gets killed uh, or someone kills Yelena, I should say. Um, and they feel like they're right back where they started as far as we have no leads. Um, they have like one last ditch effort and there's another great scene where I don't know this character. He must have some kind of previous history with Hawkeye. I'm not really sure where he comes from. Um, uh, but he's been stuck in this like maximum security prison forever. And Hawkeye goes to like, um, to interrogate him or whatever. And, you know, it being Clint Barton, like he's kind of being playful and all that. And like, this guy's like, I'm not going to give you this information. I've been here for X number of years and I've never talked. Why would I talk to you? And he's like, well, um, you know, uh, I could have you transferred to a better facility. And he's like, why would I, why would I care about that? And he's like, well, I could also offer you some protection. And he's, and he's like, why? And he's like, well, I might've let the Russians think you were already cooperating and they might be pissed off. <laughs> uh, and then he goes over to a window and uh, you see Winter Soldier walking into the the prison facility, and this guy's been in prison for like 13 years or whatever. So he's like missed everything that's happened with Bucky in between. See, so he thinks the Winter Soldier is still like a su- super Soviet assassin. You can tell. <laughs> you can tell when Nick likes a book because he just starts his review of it is a play by play of exactly what happened I'm, in the book. I'm. I'm I picked two very specific scenes to do play by plays on, and it's just because it's funny. Uh-huh. Um. Anyway, so he thinks the Winter Soldier is coming to kill him, and he ends up giving up the information. And then Winter Soldier walks into the room and is just like, "Like, hey, uh, I'm sorry, I'm late. The vending machine got stuck, and blah blah blah." And like hands Clint Barton a candy bar. Um, anyway, all that is to say, this has been a very fun ride so far. I'm sad. I'm part of me is hopeful that this will lead into some sort of Hawkeye uh, Winter Soldier uh, official buddy comic instead of just a five issue arc. Um, uh, and I don't want to give away the spoiler at the end of this issue, but it definitely turns everything we've learned so far in the arc uh, on its head. Uh, but I'm very excited for the remaining two issues that we have, and hopefully we'll get some more. And David, your turn. All right. Well, I'm talking, as previously mentioned, about Super Sons number 13 uh, with writing from Peter J. Tomasi, Carlo uh, Barbera on pencils, and Art Thibbert on inks. And uh, I mentioned, of course, colorist Gabe Eltia. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll you, I don't know. I don't know. Sure. David, tell us what what happens on page one, panel one. Page just one. Go from there. Page one, panel one is Jonathan Kent uh, blocking a soccer ball. Now, so what what this is is has been mentioned in previous issues. Uh, Damien is now going to the same school as Jonathan. Uh, and the, uh, isn't it Gotham Academy? No, it's um, I think it's called like Three Reeves or something like that. Uh, in uh, in Metropolis, um, and of course, you know, Damien gets uh, flown in or West Reeve, sorry, West Reeve, not Three Reeves, West Reeve, uh, of probably a Christopher Reeve nod yet again. Um, he gets flown in every day by Alfred via a helicopter. Uh, <laughs> Alfred's flying the helicopter. Yep. Awesome. Yep. It, it, like in full butler attire as well. Uh, and, and of course he doesn't really land. It just, he just kind of hovers over like the uh, soccer field and Damien jumps out because it's, it's Damien. Um, anyway, while they're going about a day at school and Jonathan's like being like, Oh, how great am I at blending in and like not being noticed? Uh, Talia Al Ghul shows up and is like, Hey son, you're, you know, the perfect weapon that I've crafted. Kill this person for me. And he's like, mom, we've been over this like a dozen times. No. Uh, and that night they decide to investigate who it is that Talia is going after. And they discover that it is Lois Lane. So Talia wants to kill Lois and, uh, and, they've done so much stuff with the dads in this book. It's like, well, let's find a way to bring the moms into the story. Um, it, it's, you know, it's by a, having them kill each by other. By having them, yeah, at each other's literal throats. Uh, it's, this has been a, an overall, like I said, it's been a fun book. Um, and this is a nice little setup for uh, the way the story is going because, you know, Jonathan is starting to learn, uh, about like the, the real details of Damien's past. And, you know, he's like, how many people have you killed? Damien's like, that was a lifetime ago. You're 13. Uh, so there is, you know, the, 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 the differences in maturity really kind of is showing or Jonathan's starting to really get an idea of the stuff that Damien has gone through up, uh, up to this point in his life. Um, I was going to say something else along those lines, but now I'm I'm totally blanking on everything. Um, I wish that they did have a chance to kind of craft their own villains. You know, it, it's hard because the the temptation it feels like is to always create the evil version of these characters. Um, you know, they have faced up to this point. They have faced uh, Lex Luthor uh, at some point. They have faced. Um, like this family that was kind of had a mezo like powers. Uh, they faced an alternate dimension bad guy. It's like, but stuff that hasn't really like stuck around. Um, I do enjoy that the back and forth these two have. I kind of mentioned, you know, the way that they are, you know, like starting to get into Damien's past. And Jonathan's like a little bit surprised because he feels like, you know, he feels like, oh, Damien is just like over serious, but he's really just like still a kid at heart. And now he's like meeting these members of the League of Assassins that Damien like has trained or trained with. Um, it's starting to kind of harken back a little bit to the uh, Robin son of Batman book that, uh, that Peter J. Tomasi 
had a hand in um, before the whole Rebirth lineup, which is a book that I, I absolutely loved. And I would kind of like to see, you know, I liked the way that that was where, where Damien is sort of on his redemption arc, where he did a bunch of bad stuff that he's now trying to make up for. And I feel that that book had a little bit more of a consistent heart to it. There was sort of a, a thread pulling it all the way through where this book is kind of like, well, now they're going off and doing this and now they're going off and doing this. And maybe if it had sort of a central through line, it would feel a little more, you know, like there was also the storyline where they dealt with a future uh, Tim Drake who was trying to kill Jonathan Kent. Um, but that involved, you know, Superman and, and the Teen Titans and all that stuff. Um if there was something that was that was centrally theirs and had been kind of carrying them through all this book, I think that it would be a lot stronger than it is. But I think right now, just the way they've been hopping from story to story has been a little bit ultimately disappointing. And that's not to say that I've disliked this book. I have liked this book immensely. It's one of the like few books that I'm reading every month on time and not having to do like a, a six issue binge to catch up on. Um, I just think that it could be stronger and I hope that there is something done, you know, with these characters in the future. I hope that we see them as teenagers, uh, hanging out and, and doing stuff and that Jonathan Kent is not sent to the farm as we have the fear of doing. Um, overall, I'm excited to see how this book is going to wrap up and it'll be sorely missed. So that's some thoughts there on, Oh, and why do artists draw Damien's hair like the size of his head? Like Damien has an extra and like three inches added to him on the hair, which has always been odd to me. I feel like that's that's a more recent invention. Uh, I'm just saying you'd think the kid would have a better hairstyle. He's not that. Right. His hair's usually pretty slick back yeah. and, and short. Not, he's he's not, not that freaked weight. out about his height. He doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care about his height that much. He's, you know, a trained assassin. <sighs> it is true. Damien is supposed to be 13. And it seems like he's never hit a growth spurt. No, which is odd. Despite being the child of like two really tall parents. Right. But yeah, I'm sure like in his teen years, he's suddenly going to grow to like eight foot six. Right. Uh, uh, oh, and there's like something like Talia. Ta there's some line that Talia kind of mentioned about like uh, death isn't your bloodline. You know, I, I know she meant it as like you know, you are supposed to carry out death. Like you're supposed to like be an assassin, but it was kind of like the way she was almost saying it was like, you are meant to die. And it's like, he did. Don't you remember you murdered him? You had him killed. You terrible, terrible woman. But I am happy to see that Damien is no longer struggling with like between my mother and my father. Uh, he even like mentions, he even says in this issue, like, you're trying to turn me against my dad, which we've done this a bunch of times and it never works. Right. But let's talk about Black Panther, which is a Marvel movie that came out um, a week and a half-ish ago and is the latest entry into the MCU following the events of Civil War by just one week. T'Challa is the new king of Wakanda and is trying to deal with some of the sins of the past of Wakanda, I think is a kind of blanket way of, uh, of saying that, uh, before we dive into our review, I will say Nick and I, we have stuff that's not negative, but we do have points of concern. And I just want to say out here in the front that I really liked the film, like just general Nick, what are your, what were your just general feelings on the film? 
No, I'm I'm the same way. Uh, I you know it's, it's a movie that I I I I I do want to see again, potentially even in theaters if I get the chance. Um, of course, I'll probably see it if I ever catch up on our Marvel movie watch prior to Infinity War. You won't. Um, probably not. Um, but despite any grievances I have with the film, uh, the overall package was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my nitpicks really just come down to like the choreography, the fight choreography here I thought could have been better or the CGI wasn't as strong as it could have been um, but other than that like the overall story the, the characterizations the acting like oh, uh, I thought was really enjoyable and really good the the acting in this movie is great you know they have some of the strongest actors uh, working I mean especially the strongest black actors you know you have Chadwick Boseman Michael B. Jordan Lupita Nyong'o uh, Danae Guerrera uh, Martin Freeman is not uh, black, but you know he's still a pretty good actor. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, <laughs> the, the great black actors, and then you throw Martin Freeman. Look, in I'm, there. I'm going down. Oh, I'm going. Wait, he's not black. I'm going down this list, Martin... and like I'm going down this list, and you know Andy Serkis is at the bottom, but Martin Freeman is like fifth, which like you know it kind of makes sense. But you know you also Martin Freeman, one of the best black actors, black actors there is. The hard time. Uh, but also like Angela Bassett and Forrest Whitaker, man, like they they pulled out all the stops on the casting here, and this movie has made seven hundred and four million dollars so far um and it's like two weeks in theaters which is like pretty bananas like that's mm-hmm. a lot of money um, no it's it's doing incredible which is, is is really amazing to see yeah i'm gonna pop over um, to box office mojo just to get the the actual numbers but go ahead what were you gonna say no I, I, so when it comes to the act like i think everyone overall did a really good job i felt that angela bassett is t'challa's mother and um forrest whitaker as was his name Shuri? No, Shuri is his sister. Shuri's I think sister. Zuri was his name. Was, uh, yeah, Zuri was, Zuri was the yeah. You know, for I've seen Forrest Whitaker in some phenomenal roles. Um, the Last King of Scotland uh, is one movie that I always think back to when it comes to Forrest Whitaker. He was really, really good in that. And this movie, like, it wasn't that he did his acting was poor. It was just that his character didn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, I, he was playing obviously the older version of the guy in the flashback scenes, um, but. You know, he basically was there for like the ritual, uh, the crowning of, of T'Challa, and then he was there for the dethroning of T'Challa. And spoilers, can we do spoilers? Spoilers abound. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let, I mean, it's... let's just get out of the way. It's easier for us if we can discuss spoilers. So at, at this point forward, we're going to be discussing this movie full spoilers. No, not no stops. Yeah. Uh, so sure, Zuri, <sighs> Zuri dies. Um, so he kind of acts as a. You know, I don't. I guess like an Uncle Ben moment. Uh, I guess I mean a lot. A lot of the <laughs> we're gonna call it the Uncle Ben protocol or whatever. Um, you know, I think fell on T'Challa's father, and that relationship, even though T'Challa's father was obviously dead through the duration of this movie, um, was a really big focal point. And I think definitely the movie did a, a great job when you get to the point where like T'Challa's learned like the hidden history, like how his father killed his uncle, um, almost like really great Shakespearean moments in this movie in terms of just like, or, or like Greek, uh, tra- uh, uh, tragedies. Um, they do, they do was, play was up, him... they do play up the family elements really well. Uh, this, this story is super contained, um, within Wakanda, but even more so within like 10 people, you know, the, the entire plot kind of revolves around a very small cast of people. And so you do have emotions running high. Right, and it's and it's 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 really interesting whether the movie intentionally is trying to play it off or not. Like you were saying, you're dealing with a relatively small cast of characters where they're where given the level that they're playing 
that, though, their decisions have such far-reaching consequences. Even though uh, Killmonger, spoilers, uh, his plot gets um, derailed, like, you know, he, especially within the, the, the plot of the movie, like, he is the result of Wakanda's, you know, bad decisions. And I like that the movie also didn't shy away from calling Wakanda, like, looking at Wakanda as it is, that it's this highly advanced city in, like, the heart of Africa, uh, or country, city-state, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the heart of Africa, that it has all these resources, that it doesn't shy away from just the oppression of black people around the world, right. and, and the history that, of imperialism, and all that. That's, that's a big And then that's called a big Wakanda on a ship for, like, there's so much you could have done, and then you didn't. And I like that they didn't shy away from that. Right, right. Uh, Wakanda is obviously very prosperous, and part of their the reason they've been so prosperous is because they've been so isolated. And this movie really does like ask you know ask the question of like, there's been a lot of really bad stuff that's happened in history, that's happened to black people, and you have just like you, you had the power to do something, and you just mm-hmm. stood by. And and really like there's what I what I like about Black Panther, uh, in, is that they don't they don't justify they never say like it was the way that we had to be it is like that's the, that's what they, they they tell themselves you know it's like well we had to be this way because like that's who we are we had to protect right. vibranium blah, blah blah but at the end of the film you know you do have T'Challa saying like you know what your methods are horrible and wrong. But, you know, what you said is correct and that we can be doing a lot for the world at large. And I like that at at the end of the movie, it's not just, you know, they do they do show like Wakanda and T'Challa, like they're going to invest heavily in, you know, like black neighborhoods in uh, Oakland is kind of the example they give. But they show him like at the U.N., like we're ready to share our our secrets, our technology with the world. You know, we want to right. improve the world at large, not just like, and, you know, not just uh, the, the small part of the global community. It is like everybody, you know, we have a way to right. make a big difference and we're going to affect that difference. And that's awesome. And of course, they're just like, what, what do you, what, what does Wakanda, a third world country and, have off in the world? And, and I, just that smirk. See, but, but here's what I want to know. What did they show them? <laughs> like, did they have a PowerPoint? Well, do they have a PowerPoint presentation of like, here's Wakanda's greatest secrets? Well, I think the, the PowerPoint kit was going to come after, um, after the, the, the thing. I think that he just initiated the speech and he's like talking about it. And they're all like, it was probably like, we don't really know why Wakanda called this UN conference. Um, so like, what, what are you, what are you going to do? Yeah. What I liked in terms of T'Challa and, and what Chadwick Boseman, I liked it as a, as far as like a hero goes, like he's fairly soft spoken. He's, he never really, I think other than like he yells at his dad and like he gets upset at a couple of points, but overall his general demeanor is a lot more subdued, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. And I liked it as far as a character arc goes, like he's just about to continue the same line of thinking as all as previous yeah. Wakandan kings. And, it's and not... really the, the heart the, the ideological heart of the movie doesn't even come down to T'Challa. To, to he like he just he's just I'm gonna keep following this train. It was between Nakia and Killmonger, mm-hmm. you know, and and both of them wanted the same thing. They wanted Wakanda to expand uh, its resources to help the greater world. Nakia had a more humanitarian approach, and Killmonger mostly just wanted to burn the world down. Um, yeah, literally in some ways. Uh, and the, and T'Challa saw the sort of the. He's, and he's, T'Challa recognized the consequences of what his father decided on, on abandoning Killmonger and how that led and how that was kind of representative of Wakanda's mistakes as a whole uh, that allowed him to sort of actually turn around and come back over to 
Aki's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I did not realize that Shuri was supposed to be 16. Um, I thought that she was like maybe supposed to be like early 20s. So that's a little surprising, uh, especially because the actress is, is 24. But I do want to talk about um, what I think is one of the much weaker points of this film. Uh, and that is the the character that is played by, um, I'm trying to pull his name here. Uh, so the character of Wakabi, uh, Daniel uh, Kaluya, who is from Get Out. Uh, you know, it's T'Challa's best friend. He's the head of security of the border tribe. You know, he is the first line of defense for Wakanda. His family suffered greatly because of Claw. And he, you know, he asks uh, T'Challa to, you know, handle this. You know, your father couldn't get this done. Can you please handle this? And T'Challa, you know, is a young hothead. So he's like, yeah, I can get it done. And then, like, learns why his father had so much difficulty for 30 years trying to catch this guy. He's resourceful. He's uh, dangerous, you know. He has evaded capture for 30 years because he's really good at evading capture. And instead of, like, talking to his friend and, you know, there being some form of understanding, uh, he's like, oh, you didn't capture Claw? Man, the first chance I get, I'm betraying you. And I'm, you know, I'm giving up all of my ideology about Wakanda. Like, that didn't make sense. And that's, like, a major point in the film, and it doesn't make sense to me. I... I mean, I agree. I think it, it was it was weak in terms of execution. I think I understand how they were trying to play it. Was I, that I understand how they were trying said, to like play this, it, but I don't think it was played well. No, it just it just felt like here's this the stranger shows up with Claw's dead body, um, and it's just like here and here's my ideas, and it's like whether you and I can understand like emotions are a very strong thing. And I think sometimes when we watch like movies like this, and like we think we know better because we're, we're privy to things that the characters can't see that like they can't act out emotionally. And I think clearly um, you say it was Wakabi. Wakabi's um, response to all of this was emotional. He was upset about his family's um, history with, with Claw. He wanted to see him apprehended and brought to justice. He finally gets it, but he gets it from the villain. But I think even if you hear the villain and also the fact that the villain kills your best friend um, should kind of, you know, yeah, he was like so on board with, and like, and then everybody in the border tribe was was just like, yeah, you know, whatever he wants to do, I guess we're doing. Like, I guess that's kind of always been Wakanda's thought process. But like, when you have, you know, when you have the people who are trained and conditioned to protect the throne, turn on the throne, like that, I feel like should say something about the current leader. Um, I also. Uh, just, you know, I, I don't want us to go too long on this film. We're kind of running down on, on time here. Uh, so just like another thing that I wanted to say real quick is I kind of wish that we got a better feel for Wakanda in general, like what the day-to-day life is like. Do people work? They produce and grow everything they need. Like, what does that look like? And all we, like, all we ever got was a couple wide shots of the city and then like one street corner shown twice. And it would have just, it would have just been nice to, to get a feel for like what Wakanda is like. And also, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, like street level living in Wakanda as a citizen, it would have been nice to get a little bit of that. And also like what T'Challa does all day. That's not dealing with claw or Killmonger. Like those are the only two things he faces as King. And it's like, what does one of those meetings actually look like? How boring are they? 
Right, <laughs> which obviously isn't the most exciting part. No, but you, you can put that into a can, movie. You can take two minutes of like someone from the border you tribe has this up. problem, like blah blah blah. Right. I mean, I would agree. I hope in the sequel we see um, more street level that they spend more time in the actual inner workings of Wakanda and expand on that because it was like kind of noticeable. I mean, it really did seem like the two times they actually were on a set that was supposedly the streets of Wakanda, it looked very much like the exact. Same oh no! Street. It it was the exact same set. Like set, it was straight up the same street corner. <laughs> oh jeez. Um, so yeah, that 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 I hope they expand on. Um, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot that can be said about this movie. I liked its overall arcing plot. I liked how the, the characters were executed. Uh, I did think the CGI, and for me, and this is just more, if this if Black Panther had come out like 10 years ago, you know, it probably wouldn't have been as noticeable, but because it's another movie in a long line of superhero movies, um, regardless of its strengths, like, I get tired of these movies being like a CGI slugfest, and like the, the oh, climax had like three... That, that third act goes on for a long time and it does kind of get to a point of like, all right, come on, wrap it up. Well, yeah, it's, you had, you had like three battles on different fronts. And then when you find, so then you get like T'Challa and Killmonger fighting on like the, the cargo subway or whatever. And it's dark and they're both wearing black suits yeah. with like some accents on it. And it just like, it, it, I, I would have preferred a different environment for their, their final fight, but well, also like, like constantly, the what? Yeah, well, yeah, like when when our attention is in three different places, and kind of like, you know, the the least exciting one is these two guys punching each other on a train, like train tracks, where it's like you got like a, a big fight going on outside, and you've got like the the uh, air battle going on at the same time, and then it's like two guys just kind of punching each other, which like not to say it's not an important fight, but it's of the three of those, it's like the one that I was maybe the least invested in in that moment. Right. It was the least visually arresting, and I think it could have been set someplace else uh, to be more impactful. Of course, it ends on the best note, which is when he brings Killmonger out, outside and Dude. he gets to watch the Wakandan sunset. Yeah. Um, and then kind of hits the, the, the final note as far as his ideology in the film. And like the, the line he says, I'm probably going to butcher it, where he's just like, when you bury me, bury me at sea so that I can be buried with like the, 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 the slaves that would jump ship that would rather die than be uh, left in bondage yeah because you know he they he points out like oh well we can probably heal you and he's like what so i can just live in a cell like that's not life oh right 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 um did you have like do you have anything aside from the couple of things i mentioned i mean you, you kind of mentioned the the cgs like fest but any any last things you want to mention before wrapping up no i think i'm good all right well one thing too i want to um i can't remember who it was it just occurred to me but there was somebody on twitter who pointed out a lot of the design influences from all these different African nations and tribes that were represented in the movies and all these different ways. And it's a really, really cool look into the design of this film and uh, how much love and care went into it on that front and how they really did a lot to make this, um, to make it a little bit more than just a superhero movie. And I think uh, it, it is in, in, some very important cultural ways and i but also at the same time it kind of falls into the same trapping story-wise as superhero movies so um i would say the ways in which it's great are bigger than its plot uh or yeah, the the strengths are bigger than the flaws yeah yeah uh, yeah we, we can say, end it on that note the strengths are bigger than the flaws well that's going to do it for us nick do you have anything you want to recommend here real quick i guess i can play the sound clip uh <laughs> you know. 
You boys aren't nerds, are you? Nick, do you have a recommendation? Uh, I guess I'll just really quickly recommend. Uh, I was catching up on this book, uh, and I quite enjoyed it. It's called Maestros. It's by Steve Scrooge, um, who's done some Wolverine work. He did Doc Frankenstein with Burley Man Entertainment, uh, and he did story. Oh, he did storyboarding for the Matrix movies. Yes. Um, so, oh, and he did We Stand on Guard with Brian K. Vaughn. So mm. I guess I recommend all those things. <laughs> uh, but Maestros is his own writer uh, artist work. Uh, and it's basically set in a fantasy world where the leader of the world is like the great, this great magician called the maestro. Uh, and the main character, Will, is one of many children of this maestro. Uh, Will was born of a mother from Earth. Uh, and at some point along in the story, he gets banished because of something he refused to do. He gets banished back to Earth. But when the entire royal family gets killed um, by this like evil other wizard that shows up, Will gets pulled in to become the, the next maestro. And the story just kind of um, bowls from there. Cool. Uh, Art-wise, uh, Steve Strauss is, you know, he's a, he's a phenomenal artist. He puts a lot of detail into his work. He's very um, irreverent with a lot of things. He's not, he doesn't shy away from nudity or gross subjects or anything like that. Um, the book is definitely kind of zany. I think it's also very topical uh, as a lot of the stuff, like the, the world of the maestro uh, is very archaic in a lot of its ideologies and, and how, like, the maestro rules. Uh, and Will kind of shows up and is like, well, everyone's dead. Like, in terms of, like, familial uh, opposition, there is none. And I have a lot of, like, wide-sweeping changes that I want to make across the world. But, of course, there's other power players within the world that um, have an issue with that. So a lot of that, so a lot of Will's decisions have been having drastic consequences. Uh, so I like the way that the book plays with the fact that despite Will trying to do well, um, that a lot of his actions have really significant consequences that come back to bite him in the ass. So uh, there's five issues out out so far. Um, it's a, so it's a relatively new book, but I, as someone that's now really enjoying it, I plan to keep reading it as it goes, uh, and I recommend you check it out too. Cool. Well, uh, my recommendation this week is a TV show called Gravity Falls, which was on uh, Disney XD, I believe. It's all on Hulu is where I'm watching it. Um, it so it's a it's a cartoon, but it is so great. It is about these two kids, Dipper and Mabel, um, living in this little town called Gravity Falls for the summer, and there's weird stuff going on there. Uh, so the early episodes really just kind of deal with one-offs of weird stuff, and but as it gets further along, the, the plot threads really solidify, and uh, you get a lot more of um, of what you know what is going on in this town actually that makes everything so strange and there's villains that that kind of carry through the whole thing into the end game it is so great i have laughed out loud very many times at it and have found myself enthralled and there's a lot of great celebrity voices uh including uh jk simmons sticks around for a number of episodes but i'm not going to spoil as who you have to watch to find out so check it out gravity falls currently all on um Hulu, and I, I don't know if maybe uh, Cartoon Network or Disney has some other way of watching it, but yeah, you can see it there. Well, that's going to do it for us. You can find us around the internet uh, at heckyeahcomics.com or on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can find me under the username DavLuz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. My other shows are uh, movie Go Round and Brokebot Mountain. You can find those on your podcatchers, and you can uh, find Nick. I don't know, being Nick, doing whatever a Nick does. Weakest and, one so far. 
And you can, of course, find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Worst episode ever.